0: We are at the final stage of the series, and <clears throat> uh, we had a little uh, break uh, as we celebrated our one-year anniversary last Sunday, and so today we're going to wrap this series up. Um, and so I want to draw your attention to the book of Romans, chapter number 12, and, and as you look for Romans 12, let me give you a little synopsis or a snapshot or a survey, if you will, of the church that Paul writes this letter to. First and foremost, the book of Romans or the letter of Romans is written uh, because it's addressed to a group of believers who live in Rome. Paul, the apostle Paul, writes his letter to the Roman church in Rome, and he writes to them because there were some things happening in the life of the church upon, after the conversion experience, and this is important to understand, that conversion or giving you like what is conversion, Pastor? Conversion is when you decide to follow Jesus, when you make a public confession of accepting Jesus Christ as Savior. And sometimes we feel that the apex of one's life is conversion. Um, we feel sometimes that salvation is the end, is the and they lived happily ever after. Where salvation is merely but the beginning of a lifelong journey that God has for us. But to begin to walk in that journey, we need to have Christ in our hearts first. When Paul writes the letter to the Roman church, he writes it to them because there were some situations that were going on in the church that caused Paul to be intrigued in ministering to that need. First of all, the, the, church, the church in Rome uh, obviously is in Rome, and this was one of the early churches that had experienced the integration of multicultural or multicultural integration, if you will. When the church in Rome started, you had Jews who became Christians. And if you know a little bit about Jewish tradition and Jewish upbringing and Jewish religion, you know that that in and of itself is a mystery, it's a miracle, and it comes with problems. Because Jews lived their lives based on Old Testament practicum. They lived their lives based on the law, which was a life of sacrifice. If I, if I wanted God to forgive my sins, all I needed to do was take an animal to the tabernacle or to the temple, have them killed, and the sacrifice of that animal would in turn cover my sin. So it was more, the the Jew lived more his religious life based on rules, based on sacrifice, based on works. Not only that, but Jews, based on Genesis chapter 12, all the way through Malachi, you'd see that throughout the scriptures, Jews had a sense of entitlement. They felt they were better because they come from the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so whenever a Jew would see a Gentile... They would would demean them because they were not part of the class of the Jewish nation. And so when these Jews, for a Jew to accept Christ was not an easy thing. It literally meant I am going to detox myself the way I've been thinking. And I am no longer going to depend on a goat, on a sheep, on a turtle dove, on an animal to cover my sins. Because I have come to the revelation that in Christ... That's done with. So that's the challenge. So when Paul writes to this church, you had, I don't know if it was like this, but suppose the church in Rome was three sections. You had the section of the church, and this has been proven historically. You had the section of the church that all of the Jews who were Christians sat on that row. And then you had all of the Gentiles who were also Christians that sat on this row of the church. And then in the middle row, in the middle section, you had those that caught the revelation between Jews in in Christ and Gentiles in Christ. Let me tell you what was going on in the church. What was going on in the church, Jews who became Christians didn't like Gentiles who were Christians. And Gentiles who were Christians had a problem with the Jews because the Jews thought they were better than the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were like, I ain't hanging out with these guys because they're sinners. And there was a sense of condemning within the church. And so what does Paul do when you read the book of Paul and you look at the literary structure of the apostle Paul? Chapter 1, he rebukes the Jews. And he tells the Jews that they're sinners and that their sacrifice did not suffice. And he begins to correct the Jews who felt they were better than the Gentiles. And while the Jews, and by, by, by the way, in the times of the Bible, whenever Paul will write a scripture or somebody will write a scripture in the New Testament... It was a letter that was supposed to have been that had to be read in front of the audience. So when Paul wrote the book of Romans, every church had a uh, what do you call the a, a reader, if you will, and he would come and stand in the middle of the congregation, and he would read the scroll, and he would read it to the church. Like we preach the message, but in the times of the Bible, they weren't preaching this, they were reading it to the church because it's a letter. So imagine the writer, the reader right, reading the letter, and here you have the Jews who don't like the Gentiles, the Gentiles who are mad at the Jews, and he's beginning to chapter one to bomb the Jews. And while he's bombing the Jews, the Gentiles say, Amen, preacher, brother. Preacher, brother. That's a good amen. Praise the Lord. Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. Chapter 1, he's, he's correcting the Jews. But chapter 2, he corrects the Gentiles. You sinners. And you're doing incest. And you're doing things the way you learned in your former years. And he's rebuking the Gentiles. And guess what the Jews are doing? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So the Jews, chapter 1, Paul rebukes. Chapter 2, Paul rebukes the Gentiles. And then he concludes, well, then who's greater? The Jews or the Gentiles? Paul says in chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned. So you're not better than them and you're not better than them. All have sinned and come short to the glory of God. And why does Paul does this? Why does Paul does it? Because Paul understands that being a Christian is not the end. You can be and have racial issues. You can be in Christ and hate your neighbor. You can be in Christ and have a problem with morality. You can be in Christ. So the end is not just to be Christian. The end is that now that I'm in Christ, I need to let God change my mentality so that I can no longer be run by the law. And I can no longer be run by the things of this world. But in Christ, the word of God, the words of the Lord can change my thinking so that I can change my living. So it is in light of that, did you guys find Romans chapter 12 already? Okay. It's in light of that that Paul says in chapter 12, he says, verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, the will of God that is good and acceptable, and perfect. Does it me. We are perfectly useless as Christians if all we do is conform to the world around us. Give me. As one thing that should happen in every one of our lives who profess that Jesus is Savior is that we have to conclude, I cannot conform to this world. That's one of the ways that you can be a testimony to the world that you've had an encounter with Christ, that you have decided me and the world ain't friends no more. Me and the world don't got it the way it used to be. And when I'm talking about the world, I'm not talking about America, the globe. When I'm talking about the world, it's the systems of the world. So one of the ways I can tell that I'm truly a Christian is when I make up in my mind, I am not going to conform, I am not going to adjust, I'm not going to adapt, I'm not going to be part of the system of this world. what he says. And the key to not wasting our lives with this kind of success and prosperity, Paul says that we must be transformed. So there's two things I want to talk about. Number one, the Bible says we cannot be conformed. Number two, he says, you gotta be transformed. Conform says conform. To not be conformed, that's a state of mind. It's a state of mind. I am not going to do it no more. That's a state of mind. But to be transformed is a state of action. So God is saying, I don't just want you to think, and I don't want you to think because church folk are good thinkers. And we know a lot, and we know the Bible, and we know Hebrew, and we know Greek, and we know Aramaic, and we know tongues, and we know prophecy, and we know gift, and we know science. But it's not enough to know. If you know what you know, and you do nothing with what you know, you don't know nothing. So it's, how do I put to work? The Bible says you got to work your faith. How do you work faith? You work faith by actions. What does the Bible say? That faith without works is dead. So it's not enough to know. you got to now exercise what you know, and you got to take that knowledge and let God transform you. Listen, listen, listen. When you accepted Jesus Christ, as I accepted Jesus Christ, there were things that happened in my life that I had nothing to do with it. He saved me. He sanctified me. He propitiated me. He adjusted me. Uh, He uh, uh, justified me. He adopted me. He sanctified me. He did all of that, and I had nothing to do with that. But look what he says. Paul tells us, you got to be transformed. Paul don't say, God's going to transform you. Because that's not the job of, of God through conversion. That's your job in allowing God through the power of his word to change the way you think so that as you change the way you think, you change the way you live. And that's why many folk in the church waiting for God to take out his abracadabra magic wand to make a magical transformation. No, transformation will never happen until you make up in your mind, I will not conform to this world and I'm going to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. That word, be transformed, we see it in the book of Matthew, chapter number 17, verses 1 through 3. What does the word transforming mean? The word transforming in the Greek is the word "metamorpho." Metamorpho fe, but I'm going to say metamorphous, okay? That's why we get the word metamorphosis. And, and, and what transforms mean is to be different through a process. Now listen to this. The Bible talks about that Jesus took three of his disciples. He went to this mountain called the Mount of Transfiguration. Look at what happened. Chapter one versus, Chapter 17 verses 1 through 3. There you go. It says, and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white. These are things that happen on the outside. Verse 2 There he was transfigured before them. His phone shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Then it says, Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Look at what happens. When Jesus went to the mountain, he was transfigured. There was a metamorphosis that happened. Think of a, a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. He was, he was transfigured before these three guys. And it was so evident that when they saw Jesus, his face, his countenance looked like the sun. Can you imagine that? And his clothes was as white as the light. But what am I trying to say? That, that when you begin, when you begin to experience this evolution in God called transformation, there are some things in your life that the world is going to start seeing different as you walk, as you live, and as you go about your business. saw all change. But then it says, but then it says, not only did they see something in his outer being, but two people showed up as Jesus was being transformed. Who showed up? Who showed up? Number one, it was Moses. Who is Moses? What does Moses represent? Well, Moses, if you go to the book of Exodus, Moses shows up in history of in the Jewish nation at a time where the people were enslaved for 450 years. They were bound bound to the strong hand of Pharaoh and to the strong hand of Egypt. And they were slaves for 450 years. And God sends Moses to bring out his people from bondage from 450 years. And God uses Moses, and with the power of God in Moses' life, he takes the people from bondage, puts them in the wilderness, and for 40 years, he's preparing them to take them to the promised land. What does Moses represent? When Jesus was transformed. Figured the first person that the Bible's mentioned that showed up was Moses. Why? Because when you let God transform your life, the first thing the transformation begins to do is it begins to deal with those things that has you enslaved. It begins to deal with those things that has you yoked. It begins to deal with those things that has you captive because you cannot become like Christ and still be enslaved with sin. You cannot be like Christ. And what did Paul said? If any man is in Christ Jesus. He is a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away and all things are new. When Jesus was being transformed, what God is telling us this morning is when you experience transformation, there are some things that has you bound. God will give you the power to break loose from the things that have you enslaved. So Moses showed up as to say, It's time to leave Egypt. Moses shows up as to say, it's time to break the yoke. Moses shows up as to say, you've been in bondage for too long. You've been yoked down too long. You've been in your pity party too long. But if you let Jesus in, he's going to transform you. And once transformation comes in, the things that has you enslaved will break in your life. The other guy that shows up in the Bible was Elijah. And what does Elijah represent? You have to understand that in the life of these three disciples up in the mountain, for Moses and Elijah to show up, that's like, that's like the greatest person that has ever lived in your context showed up. And who's Elijah? Elijah. Elijah was a guy. By the way, he was one of the first prophets, one of the great ma- major prophets, who was Elijah. Elijah was a man that he would speak and fire will come from heaven. He was the kind of guy that he would, he would mock the, 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 the gods of Baal. He was the kind of God that he would speak and say, the food will not lack will not in your table. He was the kind of guy that brought life to the death. Why? Because when, uh, when Elijah would show up, listen, when Elijah would show up to nations, kingdoms would tremble. Whenever, whenever a king heard, Elijah's coming to your town, the entire kingdom would tremble. Why? Because they understood that whenever a prophet, by the, whenever Elijah would show up, he would come with the authority of God's word. He will come with word. He will come with, Thus saith the Lord. And whenever a kingdom heard that Elijah was coming, they will get right because they knew that whatever he would speak out of his mouth was going to come to pass because he was speaking the word of Almighty God. The Bible says that when Jesus was transfigured before the disciples, the first thing that happened, they were set free from their bondage. But the second thing that happened, Elijah shows up, which represents the word of power of God. Why is that important? Because when you understand, as you're being transformed, when you start letting go the things that has you enslaved, it is only the Word of God that can tell the devil you cannot come back, because the power of the Word will cast away every stronghold in your life. So Jesus transfigured himself on the outside. They saw the light. On the outside, his countenance changed. But his on the inside, because he was talking with them, he was conversing with them, and on the inside there was this thing called freedom of mind. Oh, I feel like preaching, freedom of mind. Freedom, freedom, freedom. I want you to know, church, that if there's something God wants you to understand, he wants you to understand that he desires for you to live in the freedom that God has prepared for you. That's why the Bible says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want you to know today, if there's one thing the devil wants you to keep on living, is enslaved to your sin, enslaved to your past, enslaved to those memories, enslaved to the trauma. Slaves to the pain, but once you start letting God transform you, He's gonna change your slavery mentality into a delivery. Oh, I feel like preaching. <laughs> But look at what happens, look at what happens. When you when you when you understand you're a slave of sin and you understand that God's desire is to change your life, look at what God happens. Oh God, I feel like preaching. The Bible says that you stop being a slave to sin, but now you become a slave of of Christ. Your position as a slave never changes. It only changes who you're going to serve under. Before you were serving the devil and consequently he broke your heart, he broke your marriage, he broke your emotions, he broke your spirit, he broke everything. But now when you come in Christ and you submit to the power of Christ, it ain't a service of obligation, it is a service of love. And when you start submitting unto God, God will take you and he won't break you. He'll lift you up. God will take you. And He'll restore you. God will take you, and He'll bless you. (laughs) Listen to me. Transformation is not only external. It's not only external. I I, listen. I come from the school. I come from the school that your holiness was determined on your how you dressed. Oh, y'all know what I'm talking about. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. The longer your skirt, the holier you were. So if you come to church and your church was dragging three miles far, look at that holy woman of God. The bigger the tie on your knot, oh, God, oh, Lord, have mercy. He's anointed. The bigger the blazer, the bigger the anointing. The bigger the Bible Oh, he got a word today. (laughs) Because people had a propensity of look at what goes on on the outside. But I don't know if you remember what God told the prophet Samuel. He said, you're looking at the outside, but I look at the heart. I look at the inside. And we cannot fall. Listen, we can't fall in the trap of judging people's spirituality by their outer countenance. We can't fall into the trap of judging people's spirituality just by how they look. Don't get it twisted, baby. Don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. Because ain't look, ain't did not look no more holier than the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. And Jesus spent most of his public ministry out with the harlots, out with the drunks, out with the thieves, and out with the liars. I'm here to tell you today, don't get it twisted. Because sometimes we look good on the outside. Have, 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 you, ever, have you ever seen a member of the church? That you look at them, oh my God, they're so spiritual. That never happened to you? Oh my God, and you sing, Lord, I want to be more like him. Because they look spiritual. The problem is, the problem is... that you haven't gone to their house yet. Yeah. <laughs> here, here at the church. Well, oh, praise the Lord, my brother. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. That's here in the church. But when they're home. If Christianity was based on how you look on the outside, we'd all be in heaven. Because everybody here look holy. Oh my God, look at you. From here, from here, from here, if the router happens, whoosh, we all going to heaven. But the thing is, that external exposition is not the end. Now, don't get it twisted. Before I start saying amen. The Bible says that if your arm is going to cause somebody to fail, well, cut your arm off too. Because there also is a responsibility. Because now that don't mean I'm going to come here in bikinis and I'm going to come here in chanclas and I'm going to come here in a thong because I could just, no, 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 no. I got to come in a way that I honor God with my life and I help my brother grow as I grow in the Lord as well. So it's, it's not just that I'm bashing the external. I'm just saying external appearance is not the end. But obviously, if there's something going on in the inside, it's got to manifest on the outside. That's, that's how it is. The transformation is not just external. But how, how, how do we do this? We have to let God work in our hearts. That's why, that's why I want to encourage this church. I want to encourage this church that our focal point of transformation cannot rely only on how we look. That's why in this church... We, we opened the doors to the church to everybody. I don't care if they're black, white, yellow, blue, green, orange, and purple, everybody is welcome in this church, and everybody, there's room for everybody in this church, but pastor, but pastor, how you dare this individual come into the sanctity of the fellowship of the brethren, because I saw that person the other day, and they posted on Facebook this picture that perturbed my Abdullah Ablamgatham within the concept of my sermon. and then, now, shut up! Shut up, because that person needs Jesus as much as I need Jesus. And I might fake the funk, but I need a Savior. I might pretend I'm holy, but I got my demons on Monday. And so I want to come to a church that I can sit beside my brother and say, You're crying? I'm crying too. You're in pain? I'm in pain too. But we're not going to stay isolated. Gentiles over here and Jews over here. We're going to get together, and together we're going to grow. We're going to make it to the glory of the Father. That's why we need to let God change our hearts. He says, don't be conformed. Don't think it's okay to be the way you are, but you got to be transformed. Now listen to this. The freedom of the world now prepares us to become slaves of Christ. And that's where we have to go. Because when you're a slave of Christ, here's what happens. You will do what Christ says to do. When you are a slave of Christ, you are no longer subject to your desires, but now you subject your desires to the will of God. And that's why Paul says you got to renew your mind. you got to focus on the essentials, which is transformation. The essential purpose of salvation is transformation. The essential for salvation is not, is not, is not knowing the words on a song. That's nice. The essential for salvation is transformation. You're supposed to be changing like a caterpillar in a cocoon. You're supposed to be transforming, hallelujah, so you can become the thing that God has for you. And how does that happen? When every day you long to break loose from the conformity of this world, when you long to be transformed and new from the inside out, when you long to be free, hallelujah, from the bondage of the enemy into the Christianity walk that God has for you. I'm here to tell you today, don't die in your a cocoon when there's a butterfly waiting to come out. Don't die in the church when God has something greater. Things that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor enter the heart of man. That's what God has in store for those that love him. Yes. Now listen to me. But the problem that we have is that it's hard for us sometimes to let go of this. And so we're in Christ. We're in Christ. But this is still not fully God's. We gave him a heart. I give you my heart. I give you my soul. Give me your mind, brother. Give me your mind. God wants your mind. But the problem is, it's easy to give, heart, give God our hearts because our hearts have to deal with our emotions. It's easy to give God our soul because that's how we feel. But, 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 but let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you. If you give God your mind, your mind controls you. See, 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 see. Look at this hand. Many people come to Christ and they give God their hearts. And God is saying, I don't just want your heart, I want your mind. Because as a man thinks, so is he. And so we come to church and we're just so happy that we gave him our heart and I'm no longer a sinner. And the blood of Jesus and glory to God. And look what the Lord has done. But God is saying, I want more than your heart. I want your mind. Because your mind has the capacity to chain you up, to chain you up to such a degree that you can be in church clapping your hands and crying in the service and go back home and slave to your junk. Somebody say preach. Somebody say preach. Everybody in this room has a skeleton in their closet. That's my boy. <laughs> Skeleton in the closet. When we come to church, when we come to church, when we come to church, this is what happens when we come to church, this is what we do. We take all of our skeletons, put them behind us, and all they see is, praise the Lord, God is good all the time. Just don't tell me to Turn around. Just don't tell me to turn around. As long as you can see what you can see up ahead. And here's what happens. The devil, the devil is out to control this. Because if he controls this, then he can bring chains to keep you bound. If he controls your head, then he can ensnare you. And he can entrap you. And while you're clapping on Sunday, something in your heart says, you hypocrite. God can't hear you. And God can't bless you. Because he knows that you know that there's a bondage in your head. So you're in church carrying with a skeleton in your closet! And this, everywhere you go, there he is. Because your skeleton will show up wherever you go. Yeah. And your skeleton could be an envious spirit. Your skeleton could be an abuse experience, an abusing experience. Your skeleton could be the rape somebody bestowed upon you. Your, your, your skeleton could be a jealousy spirit, your, jeal- your, 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 your skeleton could be whatever it is, and God is saying, "I need you to be transformed." But this skeleton ain't going to leave if you don't change your head. Yeah. I saw that, that. Listen, listen. I saw there are people in the church, but they come to church, yet they got skeletons, and they're bound, and they're bound. There are people that come to church and they're bound. And they think, listen, listen, there's a difference. Let me me get down here. There's a difference between salvation and deliverance. Whoever confesses that Jesus is Lord is saved. But you can be saved and not be delivered. Can can, can, can I... Come out! This 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 chain's got me messed up here. Wait, hold up. Where's my hat? You you could be saved. Wait, hold up. (laughs) You could be saved, and and drag chains. Because salvation is one thing, deliverance is another. Let let me explain what I mean. You are seals, Navy seals. They got some prisoners of war captive in the Middle East, right? They got some of our soldiers captive, and what happens? They give the command, we need the Navy SEALs to go out there and get our people, save our people, free our people. So they go, and they, and they come in their, in, their, in their helicopters, and they come with their army's gear, <laughs> And they go, and they go, and they go, and they go, and when they, and when they, get, when they get to the place where the houses, they break the door and they start. Da, 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 da. They grab. You know, they got, they got the houses chained up, and they got them with, with masks on, with, with gagged up in their mouth, and they got their bags because they're torturing them, and they take them out of there and they put them in a helicopter and they fly them back to the U.S. And while they're coming back to the U.S., everybody's excited when the plane lands on U.S. terrain. Everybody's there. The president's there. What did the Navy SEALs do? They saved them because they were going to die. But after they saved them, you can't just celebrate the fact that they're saved because they're still handcuffed and their mouths are still gagged and they still got bags over their heads. So it's not enough to be saved. Now you got to set me free. Take the bag off and take the handcuffs off, and take the gags off. And I'm here to tell you, church, that many people in the church, we get so excited just because we're saved, but we're gagged up and we're chained up and we're bound up. But I'm here to tell you today that you gotta let God change you from the inside out so that while you are in the middle of your struggle and the devil try to bound you up, you can tell like Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to Nebuchadnezzar, I want you to know, Mr. King, that my God is able to deliver me from this mess. But I'm so free in the inside that even if he doesn't set me free, I will not bow down to you. So what skeleton and what bondage are you carrying? What are you carrying? What's the name of it? Put a name on it. A past relationship? An abusive relationship? What is it? A traumatizing experience has you bound, and everywhere you go, you got that skeleton in your back. But pastor, that's all I know. This is all I know. This is how I live. I've already created a defense mechanism to justify my craziness. So I'm okay being this way. But let me tell you, that's not enough. So here's what you got to do you got to tell God, God, I want you to help me understand that you don't want me to conform to the thinking of this world. The world says, what they didn't kill you makes you stronger. That's what the world says. The world says, they did that to you, do it back to others. The world says, you know what? It's okay. Ain't nobody gonna mess with you. And you block in and you put doors and you put parameters. That's what the world says. But the Bible says we can't think the way the world thinks. We cannot be conformed to the systems of this world. But here's what I gotta do. Paul says Romans 12, two. He says, I need to be transformed. Metamorpho. How, how, how? By how loud I sing on a Sunday? No. By the renewing. So here's what I do. I got to say, Lord, I'm going to take my thoughts and my mind, and I'm going to get rid of that because when metamorphosis happens, two things happen. Moses shows up, and he comes to set us free from bondage. So I'm going to give God what has me enslaved, and I'm going to give it to God, and I'm going to be free from the bondages of my mind. But now I need to grab on to... Elijah, which represents the word of God. But, but look at this, look at this. When you let go of your mind, when you let go of your mind and you say to your skeletons and all that stuff, I don't want none of that. Here's the danger. Here's the danger. The danger is that you gotta be aware of the fact that the enemy, just because you got rid of him, he 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 gonna ignore you and leave it alone. No, he's gonna try to find a way to come back at you. He's going to try to find a way, good God, I made it, <laughs> to come back at you. So how does he do it? That's why, that's why this series is under construction. Because now, now you have to understand that when I gave my life to Jesus, there, 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 there's a construction going on. Because once I get rid of my mind, then now God starts equipping me. So now, listen, listen. Everything you've been through, negative in your life, came through be- because of what you heard, because of what you saw, because of what you experienced, because of what you don't know. So now that I've let go of that, now here's what I need to do. I need to protect what comes in my ears. Because, because if, if, if I get rid of that hat that represents the bondage and I don't protect my ears, I'm going to get back in my spirit So here's what I need to do. I need to clog my ears and plug my ears and protect my hearing so that from these ears, nothing that dishonors God will come into my life. I'm going to cover my ears. But not only that, Pastor, not only that, not only that. I'm going to cover my eyes. I'm going to protect my vision. Because when I was five years old, I saw this happen, and I saw that, and I went in this website, and that distorted my mind. But now that I'm in Christ, I'm going to protect what I hear so that nobody can speak negative in my spirit. But I'm going to protect my vision so that the things that I see are the things that God has in store for me, and I will not be bound by the things of this world, but I got focused vision on my purpose. So what do you have in your ears? What do you have in your eyes? I need to protect my mouth. I need to protect my mouth. I need to protect the words that are coming out of my mouth. I need to speak in season. I need to speak the word of God. Let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you. When you, when you, when you start allowing God to transform you, the more he transforms you the more you're going to look like you're under construction. But not only that, now I need to give God my head. I'm I need to give God my head because, 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 because half of the junk I'm dealing with is because I had my head exposed and I was wearing this kind of hat. Listen, 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 listen. This kind of hat. If you throw me with a baseball at 90 miles per hour, me having this hat on, you're going to crack my cranium. But if you throw me with a baseball in my head with this kind of hat, here's what's going to happen. It's going to hit me, but it ain't going to hurt. Because my head is protected. It's protected. If the ball comes in the direction of my vision, it, it, it might come in my direction, but it won't mess up my vision because my eyes are protected. It might come in my earring, but it won't mess up my hearing because my ears are protected. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. That once you start letting God transform your life, That's why the Word of God, now that I'm protecting my head, here's what I got to do. I need to put my head with the light of the knowledge of the Word of God. I, 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 I can't live Christianity without the light. Here's what happens. Here's what happens. Whenever, whenever, whenever there's a dark situation and you're in the middle of darkness and your ears are covered and your eyes are protected and your mouth is guarded and your head is protected and what you got is the light which is the word of God, the spirit of Elijah, wherever you go demons are going to have to flee and skeletons are going to have to run because when they see you (laughs) listen to me this is how the church is supposed to look Just like this. And you know what this tells me? Whenever you see somebody in the street dressed like this, what does that tell you? That they're constructing. That's what it tells you. Whenever you see somebody in the street with this kind of outfit, what they're telling you is, I'm working, I'm building something. And so when when I look at you, this is how you're supposed to look like. And what that tells me is God ain't through with you yet. And I'm supposed to look like that as well, so that we can look at each other and encourage each other as God is making us into the image of Christ. This is how the the church is supposed to look. I'm so sorry, you guys. I'm missing y'all up back there. This is how the church is supposed to look under construction. But this can't happen if we don't conform. to this world we have to not be conformed and those jews have got to say god help me forgive me so that i can embrace those who are gentiles and the gentiles can look at the jews and say god help me and forgive me because i've been judging them lord and help me lord to understand that together we could be the church that together we can change the world and so i want to challenge you today to don't conform to the skeletons in your closet to don't conform to the things that have you chained. you have the power to get rid of this stuff because God has equipped us by his word so we got two options today two options today and I close option number one I can stay the way I'm living pretend like everything's okay I can fake the funk by what I look, how I look on the outside. Or today I will make it my business to change apparel and let the world know yeah, I'm still in the process. And I'm not where I'm at. But I'm going to do what the Apostle Paul said. One thing I am sure is this that I am forgetting those things which are behind me. I'm forgetting those skeletons in my past but he, but, here's, but I'm not just going to forget and leave them no no I got to do it and I'm reaching for those things he says which are before me and that's what Christianity is Christianity is God at work in our lives that's what Christianity is the word of God illuminating in your darkness to show you that he has a better plan for you so number one You can stay where you're at. Number two, you can tell the Lord, Lord, help me get rid of my stinking thinking. Help me get rid of my bondage and my yoke. And I want to start new, Lord. I know I'm saved, but I want to be delivered.